Welcome to Belkin's Growth Podcast, hosted by Michael Maximoff, co-founder and managing partner at Belkin's. Today's guest is Daniel O'Malley, a client engagement manager for Oryx Solar. Oryx Solar is the number one reviewed solar provider in the United States. What began as a small company in South Jordan, Utah, has quickly become the largest solar provider in the region and one of the fastest growing in the U.S. Michael and Daniel talk about the incredible growth of Oryx Solar and how it was supported by new sales and marketing. Enjoy listening. How would you can explain like the incredible growth of, of your company in this space? I know that alternative energy and solar are being on top of, uh, of folks' minds a long time and a lot of states and a lot of companies are investing into that. But, you know, you guys are just killing it, right? In terms of growth and uh, how you're expanding and you're in, in four states right now. Yeah, so you are in, yeah. in Utah, Idaho, Oregon, and Colorado. That's correct, yeah. So is that because you have a great product and your product team is amazing or you also are kind of marketing and sales driven and you're doing a great job there as well so what's the secret sauce there it's always kind of the question at the root of any business why are you guys so good at what you do what sets you apart from the hundreds of other you know solar installers out there that's something that we get asked quite a bit I've been with the company for about five years. It'll be five years in, in a couple of weeks here. The company's been around for going on 10 years. And I think the main thing that I can attribute it to just being here and kind of feeling the culture of what we have is it's about the experience. Any other company or any other industry, I should say, is going to be very product-driven for the most part, but we are, I mean, as you well know, we are kind of migrating over towards this experience economy for a lot of, uh, a lot of industries and solar is no different. It is something that you put, it's a home upgrade service at the end of the day, basically. But we do provide this experience of, Hey, this is, this is going to help you save money on your power bill. It's going to help you save the planet. You're going to be, you know, helping improve air quality by reducing your own carbon footprint. You can charge an electric car straight off of the solar, so you can be saving. You know, you you can just imagine the possibilities for your own life by going with renewable energy. So it is really something that I think speaks to a lot of people on a deeper level than just, oh, hey, I bought a you know a Christmas present for my kids, and right. they're gonna they're gonna like it for you know whatever a couple months, and then they're gonna get tired of it until next Christmas comes around. This is something that lasts decades. I mean, we put the panels up on the roof. The manufacturers that we use, they all have a 25-year-plus manufacturer warranty on all the components. So it's not going anywhere. I mean, a lot of the times it's going to outlast the roof that we put it over. So it's definitely something that we want to be there for the long haul. We're not just going to be a cut-and-run installer. that's, That's something that I think it's hard to quantify exactly how many different companies are, are out there really doing really in the same level that we're at because there are a lot of solar installers, but not all of them are in it for the long haul like we are. So it's hard to say like how much competition we really have at any given time. Just an example, a couple of years ago, there were probably over a hundred solar companies in Utah operational. And then 
there was a, a change to the utility uh, policy and almost overnight we dropped back down to maybe 20, but we were one of the ones that had been around before it for the big kind of gold rush. Uh, and we had every intention to continue on and we did so. And there's, there's only, again, probably a handful of companies that I could look at and say, okay, yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to cut and run and going gets tough. So when we founded the company, I should say when I, when our founder, <laughs> again, I wasn't here the whole time, but I like, I like to pretend I can take credit. One of the experiences that kind of sparked the process, the founder, Jess Phillips, his dad was our first customer. And what he did as kind of a market test was he reached out to, I think, maybe a half dozen solar installers, you know, just looked them up online and reached out and said, hey, I want to buy solar. Can you give me a quote? Most of them didn't get back to him. And then the ones that did maybe had like one phone call and then just flaked and vanished. So that experience specifically was one of the driving principles, I think, was, hey, we can do better than that, obviously, by just showing up, honestly. <laughs> and, and obviously, we're going to be we're going to be around to follow through on the commitments that we make. We're going to uh, one, one of our other co-founders, Daniel uh, Bishop. He was an instructor in solar uh, for a very long time. And so he really knew how to do it right. And so they've been doing it now for, again, over a decade. And so we were able to say, hey, not only are we going to you know, show up and, and <laughs> answer the phone, obviously, we're yeah. going to be there to see you through every step, walk you through all the, all the permitting and, and the design and the installation and, and all the uh, back-end support to make sure it's doing what we said it's going to do. And yeah, it's, it's going to be, you know, helping clean the air pretty much as soon as we flip the switch, you're going to see more or less immediate results. I mean, it takes about a few months, anywhere from six to eight weeks, sometimes longer uh, to get from, you know, signed contract all the way through to panels actually operational on your roof. So that's, again, part of that experience is we want to make sure that you're not a customer who's just kind of left holding the bag, like, well, wait a minute, what did I sign up for? I haven't heard anything. Nobody's out of my house. I don't have anything on my roof yet. What's going on? So it's about, again, staying in communication, making sure that the customers can reinforce their own decision by seeing what's going to come out of it at the end of the day. And really, as soon as you get your first power bill, it's kind of a, it's kind of an obvious uh, thing. Like I, I've had solar on my roof for two years now. And I haven't paid more than $30 in years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the normal bill that I get is $8.97. And that's a great feeling every time I open, you know, the the bill in the mail. I'm like, all right, cool. Still working, still doing exactly what I wanted to. So it is all about that. It is all about being able to show that impact and, and make the customer feel that they are having an impact. How do you guys communicate that message through to your clients through content, right? Do you use any specific channels for that or are you just doing email marketing like newsletters or what would you suggest to be you know your main channels for communicating that vision and that message to your clients and educating them it is kind of a mixed bag i mean email is still a very very powerful tool we've got a lot of content on our website uh, like blog posts do a lot of social media posts. So kind of a mix of that is we can, you know, you can send out a, a newsletter, you can link to a blog post, you can share a snapshot of, you know, an Instagram post, something like that. And 
there's a lot of different methods and, and every medium is going to be is going to have its own challenges as far as what's most impactful for a customer. Some people want to see a really nice picture of a house uh, with solar panels on it and say, oh yeah, hey, I could be that person. Some people want to see the data. They're, you know, really, we have a lot of people who are really numbers driven case studies. They want to see all the guts of the system and everything uh, in action. So it's all about being able to provide a, a breadth, a, a wealth of different options because different things are going to speak to different people. We've got over 7,000 customers and I can assure you that not all of them resonate with you know one single message or one single communication some people just want to text some people just say hey yeah your solar's in uh, we we got your your permit back from the city and that's good enough for them you know there's there's all kinds of ways to explore that email probably is still my go-to i guess i could go back and forth email and i'm preferable to instagram myself so just because, again, I think uh, being able to communicate with a visual medium is powerful, but that's just me. That's my preference. So out of those uh, 7,000 customers that you've mentioned, how many of those are the large commercial real estate or commercial business owners? Or you do work with direct-to-consumers, correct? We do, yeah. We've got a little over 100. Actually, we're probably creeping up on uh, close to 200 commercial or industrial level clients. We've got one of our flagship projects is a uh, soccer stadium here in Salt Lake City. It's got about 6,423 solar panels, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's, uh, it's still one of the largest privately owned systems in Utah. It represents the largest utility offset out of any major league sports stadium in the country. There's a few arrays, I think back East on a couple football stadiums or maybe a baseball stadium that are larger in size and in overall per panel uh, megawatt. But our system covers anywhere between 73 to 90 something percent of their power usage at any given time of year. It's definitely a a huge benefit to them. It saves them over a thousand dollars a day. That's just one example. I mean, we have a, a, a portfolio of case studies that we've been compiling to send out to you know new clients. Some again, just like every individual consumer is different, every business is different. They're going to have different needs. They're going to have different facilities, different applications that we'll be able to execute for them. For example, with the stadium, we put probably ninety to ninety-five percent of the panels on covered parking. So. Now all of the stadium guests get have a place to uh, park under and tailgate and party before the games and all that kind of thing. Keep their cars cool from you know summer summer heat, all that good stuff. And at the same time, by designing the carports that specific way, we were able to talk to the stadium, talk to the facilities managers, and say, "Hey, if you if you guys just time." firing up your big stadium lights a little bit differently, you're going to avoid these huge spikes in demand and be able to uh, see a better, uh, lower cost of operation overall because the panels are going to be firing up all at the same time. We're all about finding that uh, solution for the customer. And you know, it, you can slap panels on any surface and say, hey, you'll probably be fine. It'll work just fine. But solar is an incredibly resilient technology and it'll produce power. But if you can come up with creative solutions and make sure that we're identifying customer needs and, and getting ahead of 
certain things that could help them in their business. That's really what we're all about. It's it's definitely again more than just a much more than just a one size fits all solution. How does it work from the customer journey perspective? So your inside sales rep closes a deal, and then what's next? Does he just hand over the client to a project manager, or you guys do any due diligence first, or how does it work from starting with a, with a new client? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. The way it works is we do have reps out there, both internal and external. So we do we do uh, EPC work for some outside sales groups as well. Basically, whenever we get a contract in, we we do a little bit of due diligence, make sure that income verification. Mm-hmm especially questions like tax liability can be a concern. We don't ever want to surprise somebody who's who's expecting, hey, I'm going to get a big tax credit next year by signing up for solar this year. And it turns out, well, you haven't paid taxes in 10 years. So no, you're not going to get anything from the government. That's a, that's a bad surprise. That's a bad customer experience. So we absolutely try and catch that as part of our due diligence. And then, yes, essentially after that, we hand it off to project manager. It goes first to our design team. We have a, an incredibly talented design team. That's that's one of the uh, departments that I honestly love to brag about the most because we just have the smartest guys in the room, at absolutely top of the top of the heap uh, when it comes to innovative thinking and inaccuracy. They do hundreds of projects every month, and they're able to turn around really fast. And again, also identify problems. And, and part of that due diligence is, hey, wait a minute, like, you know. We sold the customer 30 panels, but we're only going to be able to fit 20-something on this roof. We're going to have to find some other yeah. way to get the rest of them up there or that. So we always want to make sure that we're giving the best uh, bang for the buck uh, at every stage. And then, yeah, once, uh, once the design is out, it goes to the local uh, municipality for permitting and approving. And that's really the longest part. That's kind of the hurry-up-and-wait stage. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of visibility. Once it leaves our hands, it, it goes to the city office and we just wait for the stamp. But luckily, again, we do have a great track record with uh, every municipality that we work in because they've, they've seen our work now, you know, sometimes hundreds or even thousands of times. So they know what to expect from us. We've, we've set the bar very high. And so we are able to get a, a pretty good turnaround on that these days. And then, yeah, once we receive it back, our, our project manager gets the install crew out there the installation itself usually only takes about a day. There are some of these larger, more complex projects that can take maybe a couple of days at residentially. Commercially, it can be, I mean, totally different story, obviously. We've got a project, for example, right now that's going to be, we started it in January of this year, and it's going to be completed hopefully by December next year, maybe even December, or maybe even early Q1. 2021, but it's you know it's 26 huge apartment units. It's a virtual power plant. So there's batteries in every single one of the units. It's called the Soleil Lofts. So, yeah, again, <laughs> totally totally different timelines when it when it comes to residential versus commercial. But it is something that again that is part of the experience. We want to make sure that we're delivering timely, and we are pretty seasonal with that regard because of the tax credits. Because that's such a huge driver for a lot of people. We do want to make sure that our systems, when we say, hey, yeah, we've we've said we're going to get it installed by this year, it's going to get on your roof and you'll be able to file for your taxes and get that on the next tax cycle. We definitely want to make sure we're delivering on that. Did you guys yeah. see any any seasonality in your business? I mean, do you guys have a high and low season in the year? 
We do. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, that just because of partially that tax deadline, we actually get really, really busy in Q4 usually, but also uh, right around uh, spring and, and summer, that's when we see a pretty big jump as well, because that's when people start getting really nasty power bills because they've been running their AC all of a sudden. They're like, oh, I didn't know I was going to pay 300 bucks or 400 bucks for my power bill this month. What's going on? So that's, a, that's another pretty big driver there. But yeah, I mean, really, the truth of it is the best time to install solar is in uh, later in the year because you do get a full cycle of sunlight. Basically, you, you get the full, the full year, the full uh, season of building up uh, solar credits on your power, your net metering account with the power company. And that's able to carry you through both the high summer bills as well as uh, in, you know, through winter and into next year, basically. So. That's something that we know kind of internally. It's not as commonly known outside. And so, yeah, that's another, that's another challenge we always face, not just the seasonality, but just, again, the kind of the educational aspect of it. It's constantly, we don't know whether we're running into somebody who is a solar guru of their own. They've been researching it since the 70s and they're an engineer or whatever, or somebody who needs every step of solar 101 from the very get-go. And, yeah, that's, that's always we're educators before we're salespeople. We do want to make sure that we're telling people what's going to happen. What percentage do you think goes to folks that just uh, building up houses or apartment blocks and they are starting with solar right away compared to the folks that are transitioning to solar? Do you think it makes sense to educate people on, on solar when they just started this, you know, this uh, household journey or... So that that could increase the percentage of overall households under the solar usage or, and if you've seen any trend recently on people starting their houses or building anything new and just going straight with solar, or they are still using some more traditional energy channels and solar is just one of those and, but it's not the main channel yet. That's an excellent point. I mean, we have seen more recently where people are coming to us and saying, hey, I'm, I'm building a house. I've got some plans already, or maybe I don't even have plans yet. I want to talk to you know, a solar expert and see what I should be looking for when I'm consulting with a builder. That's definitely a, a growing trend. I wouldn't say it's a huge percentage yet, somewhat unfortunately, but definitely with uh, regulations like have been passed in California where every new building has to have solar on it. I think it's going to become a a much more common trend, uh, certainly in in that state and probably across the region. We do, I'd say again, probably 90 to 95% of ours are retrofits into existing uh, homes, but we've done a number of design to build projects, both residentially and commercially. We actually had one that we built, you know, from the, from the blueprints up uh, and it has, it's a big commercial building, big office building, but it's got this beautiful, beautiful solar wing on top of it. It's a really, really striking uh, structure. And so, yeah, there are people who kind of want that aesthetic. They want to say, hey, I don't, you know, personally, I think the panels look great. We use really uh, aesthetically pleasing, very sleek black on black panels. They're not the typical kind of shiny industrial, doesn't look like a power plant on your roof or anything like that. But we do have people who say, hey, I want this to be as integrated into the structure as possible. I want it to be more or less seamless. And so I want to have my, of course, my roof angled at the exact perfect pitch. What's that going to be? And so we'll consult with people regardless what their, uh, what their project goals are and find out what we can do to give them the best end result. 
Interesting. I mean, is the demand right now higher than supply or the supply is still higher than demand? Right this minute, it's actually pretty tight, but that's mostly because there's a variety of factors. There are a lot of companies, again, that are trying to meet those end-of-year goals. There were some tariffs that uh, came into play. And so there were a lot of manufacturers who were expecting a huge rush uh, with tariffs coming in, as well as uh, incentives potentially expiring this year. That's still kind of up in the air with Congress right now. But um, the, the federal tax credit is set to step down this year by 4%. So there's a big boom there. There's a lot of customers who want to get that under the wire, basically. So I would, I would say this particular incident that we're talking, yeah, we have seen a, a very, very big boost in, in demand. And so that's, that's stretching supply lines pretty tight. But mm. the industry has uh, kept growing and growing and growing and, and always there's going to be growing pains. So there's enough momentum that it would, it would take pretty much a catastrophic <laughs> combination yeah. of factors to slow down the growth of renewable energy in the, uh, across the planet, of course, but definitely in the U.S., I think we'll continue to see both supply and demand uh, just just continue to exponentially grow. Ideally, they they stay pretty much in in step. Got it. It's interesting going back to when you mentioned that one of your founders, when he started the company, reached out to several providers at that time and asked for a quote and didn't hear back from them. Do you guys right now have a dedicated agent to handle any inbound leads? or you're kind of distributing that among your sales force internally? Both, actually. Yeah, we do have an in-house. We call it our inside sales team. But yeah, for the most part, we give all of our uh, freshest leads to sales reps directly for them to work through and disposition and everything. And once they've done their best with it, we do have our, our inside sales team who comes in and cleans up you know anything that's maybe been out there for a week or so and so we're, we're doing our absolute best to make sure nobody slips through the cracks once they've made a request and uh, yeah we we definitely get plenty of success that way that's another thing that's another interesting uh, challenge with the industry is that there are so many just lead aggregators out there probably I, I mean I hate to say it, they uh, they almost outnumber uh, actual solar companies sometimes it seems like at least where they're just essentially a funnel, just trying to capture people's information and then sell it to a solar company. There's so many of those out there, so it, it can be it can be tough to uh, have a customer who thinks they've filled out a form just requesting a, one quote, but that that uh, lead aggregator sold it to you know maybe four or five different companies, and it's just going to have them kind of duke it out. So that customer may get called four or five, maybe even you know ten times by different solar companies. So that can be a real turnoff. Do you have yeah, any automation like installed on, on the website that kind of fire out the email once a new user registered on the website or you're just trying to give a call back right away? Or how does it work if I go in and register on our website? What, what should I expect? Yeah, if you, uh, directly on our website, we are working on, a, on an automation like that. Um, that. That'll be something hopefully here in the, in the, ne- in the very near future. But yeah, right now what happens is it goes into our into our uh, CRM system, and then the rep gets notified with uh, via a text notification saying, "Hey, you've got a new lead in in your in your pipeline," and they're expected to go in and, and call and then you know send a text or send an email that way. So 
we do want to still keep it a little bit more personalized, mm-hmm. but that can also be kind of a detriment for speed. So we, it's always hard to strike that balance of what's going to be the most, the, the best human touch we can give to every customer without just seeming like an automated, you got thrown onto a robot treadmill and you're going to be, you know, work through the ringer before you actually can just talk to a human and get your questions answered. So that's always something that, that we're toying with. And, and that's something I've, I've worked through for years now. I mean, there's, there's again, no perfect solution out there. There's definitely plenty of options to explore and find a, a good enough or a, or a, you know, close to, but it's, uh, I, I, if there's a perfect solution out there, somebody call me. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that it's more challenging to build at top of the funnel or the challenges in actual closing rate and, and, and educating a qualified lead, but not a buyer yet? if it makes any sense. Right, right. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why having good content is so, so important because the more education you can do up front, the more you can be a willing aid in their uh, solar journey, whether or not it's with you as, as their installer, but just being, being willing to educate first and, and make sure that kind of the buyer is qualifying themselves. That makes, that makes it so your top of the funnel is, much, much more likely to, to fall through the, to the bottom for a sale. So that's something that we've always tried to do on our website is, again, have, have good content that lets people kind of self-medicate, if you will, and then go through the, the process of getting a quote. And yeah, we, we have really great closing ratios, actually, but that's partially just because our, our sales reps are very experienced, very knowledgeable, again, being willing to educate and we'll, we'll turn down a sale if, if through our education process, we discover, hey, maybe it's really not a good solution for these people right now for whatever reason. <laughs> I've always kind of joked, like the only reason that uh, you shouldn't go solar right now is if you, if you can't really fog a mirror at the moment. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's just my personal opinion, but we do have a, a great sales team and, and we do try and give them the best chance at closing by making sure that they're getting good leads, good qualified leads of people who are, who know just enough that they're ready to, ready to move forward. Many salespeople do you guys have? We have a few dozen, you know, across all four markets. We probably have close to 30, I think. I used to set the appointments uh, myself. I used to be part of the inside sales team before I was on marketing. So I used to know it by heart. I could, you know, count them off the top of my head, but I've departed a little bit from that world. So yeah, I'm, uh, I know that we've got a, a good sales force in, in each of our markets of at least, uh, you know, half a dozen or more uh, people in each, in each team. So is there any difference, those salespeople that are selling to commercial and industrial clients and to direct to consumer, or you don't differentiate uh, internally different roles in sales in that regard? We do. Yeah, we do actually, because commercial is just such a completely different animal for the sales process. You know, a, a close on a, a residential home can be anywhere from your very first meeting to maybe a month or so down the road. Some people kick the tires for longer, but a commercial sale is almost by definition going to start at the, the earliest it's going to close is probably a couple months or so because you need to gather power bills. You need to do, you know, site visits, you need to put together much more complex proposals because of commercial utility rates versus residential schedules. So yeah, that's, that's all, uh, 
we definitely differentiate in the sales force uh, just because and of that. How many um, kind of deals or ongoing conversations uh, should I have in my pipeline as a sales rep, you know, to kind of not, let's put uh, the question in a bit different um, light. Um, if I were to kind of, you know, start my own company and, or if I were to establish that, you know, because I've, I've been that, product driven for a while. And now I want to also have some sales people dedicated to selling, right? How many leads or deals should I have in my pipeline to kind of sustain the growth? And then if I were to hire second, third, fourth and scale my sales team, what would you suggest in terms of how many you know, deals or leads or conversations should I have as a top of my funnel to make sure that I can sustain the growth and hit my target. But at the same time, my salespeople will not be just sitting around and saying that, Hey, sorry, I, I don't have enough leads. I, I need more leads because I cannot hit my targets. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, that's an incredibly complex question. I don't know that there's a perfect answer. The main thing I would say is it depends on your bandwidth. Obviously you need to have a balance between both your sales coming into the pipeline and also what you can output on the back end as a fulfillment team or whoever you're going to contract that out to. We do everything in-house, so we do keep our, uh, our, you know, our, our PMs busy. But the reps, I mean, the really successful reps can do a lot with, with a little. Again, it really depends on kind of your sales team itself. Every sales rep is going to be different. Everybody is going to have their own preference on how to how to generate leads or how which which types of leads to uh, to speak to and to handle uh, in their own method we've got just for perspective we've got about three verticals that we generally get leads from one is we just call it company leads which is anything the company purchases from uh, outside lead aggregators like solarreviews.com um, we've been on their website for a number of years and we're actually the top rated on their site and we get a lot of leads from them. We get a lot of leads from Facebook uh, campaigns. We get leads from our website, other you know lead vendors out there. So that all kind of becomes a, a, a company lead. Then we have a door knocking team, canvassing crew in almost all of our states right now, uh, and that's something that it can vary. That's tricky to make work uh, sometimes. So you do need to make sure you're having a good conversation at the door, but not giving away too much, you know, with the, with the perspective lead. And then the last vertical would be anything the rep brings to the, to the table themselves. And that's going to be networking, customer referrals, going to events, setting up a booth somewhere, any number of their own generation efforts. So the ideal scenario is you never want reps just sitting around saying, Hey, I don't have enough leads because that's the to me, the answer is, well, go get some. <laughs> you know, like, what are, yeah. what are you doing? To, who, who have you talked to lately? Where, where have you, where have you gone out and tried to network with a, you know, with a business, for example, and say, hey, can we do a lunch? Any number of different exercises like that are, are hugely valuable. Set up a booth at a street fair, you know, things like that. So, the, the short answer I can give is, it really depends on your bandwidth. It really depends on what the sales reps' skill sets are, and if you can. Make sure that they're that they're processing a good number of leads. We have we have reps who have a, a 60% close rate. So again, they're doing a lot with a little. It doesn't, they don't need to have, you know, oh, I need to have exactly 36 leads in my funnel at any given time to get this. Like, no, they're just they're just burning through. They're just they're just machines. So it's definitely a pretty, pretty broad spectrum there. Okay. Interesting. 
What would you say in terms of working with the sales team and, and training and, and growing with the sales team? Do you have any dedicated uh, training program for that? How do you mentor and grow your sales team to be at where they are right now? Or you just uh, focus more on hiring and of, of a very kind of high tier individuals that would not need any training? Or you say that you grow the team from within? That's an excellent question. And again, there's uh, probably a mix. We have a lot of reps, a lot of our sales reps have, right now have been with the company for quite a while. So we don't have a dedicated training platform anymore. We leave that up to the sales managers in each market. Uh, but the other really, really powerful component is not just hiring the right person who's already got a skill set, but the culture of our sales crew and, and our company in general. What you may find at a lot of other solar companies is, is kind of that shark smell and blood in the water, dog eat dog, every man for himself, got to get out there. You know, that is absolutely not the case here. We have just incredible people working for us who are always willing to lift up their fellow teammates. If they have, you know, a, a new person who's kind of struggling, you'll easily find at least a couple of reps who will reach out, kind of take them under their wing, say, Hey, here's what's worked for me. Let's learn what's going to work best for you and that kind of thing. So. That's something that I think has really, again, set us apart. We're all about that mentality of rising tide lifts all boats. We're not, uh, you're, you're never going to find a salesperson here who's, who's going to try and, you know, steal somebody's pipeline. And it's, it's not Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross out here or anything like that. So my copywriter just recently asked me to, you know, to share some insights on, uh, because uh, I've been working on a new case study for how one can hire salespeople effectively. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of uh, uh, content uh, out there to support and kind of uh, to share uh, details of what the hiring process for salespeople is. And the very last question that I was asked was, can you give an example of the questions that you usually ask during the interview with your sales, for the interview with the salesperson? Can you share any question that you have on top of your head to support that? What questions do you usually ask or would you ask while interviewing a salesperson? Maybe on the very last or very kind of qualifying stage, not on the very beginning of the process or the very later stage, yeah. maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, uh, that's a great question for my colleague who's our hiring uh, manager. <laughs> I don't do any of the interviews myself. So I know that she's got some great ones and she's just an, an amazing person. That's, that's key. I'd say just, just from having worked with her, you absolutely need to have an incredibly empathetic person who's really sharp on your hiring team. You have this very healthy and uh, kind of environment, working environment, I think based on what you're sharing right now, the values and the, you know, the vision and, and the, the workflow and the people that you work with are just amazing. Uh, uh, what do you do within the company to share that vision or the same attitude or, or ethic towards, or, uh, towards the employees? And is that something that is uh, driven from the head to the bottom or... Uh, you have an HR manager that kind of starts these programs for, for kind of maintaining that healthy environment or is there any kind of tweaks or any insights that you can share? One of the things, I mean, again, it's got to be a mix of treating people right, 
that internal email commu- communications, keeping you know people informed the right way, and and making sure that you're sending the right message to the company. That's something that I do a lot uh, in marketing. But we also have you know our HR team organizes potlucks, or even just interdepartmentally, we'll have you know the customer service team will have to throw a potluck. The, design team will throw a potluck or, you know, get, get pizzas and bring it into the office and, and share with anybody who happens to be around. So I'd say, like you asked, you know, whether it's a, a hat to the bottom or anything, honestly, what comes to mind is just that it's, it's in every cell of everybody's body here. So it's not necessarily something that has to be generated from grassroots up or, or you know, trickle down or anything like that. We were lucky enough to bring in people who are going to, again, supplement it. They've already got that, that good bone in their body. And, and once they see that that's encouraged at the, at the workplace, you know, people are more than willing to step up. Like I, I honestly, one of the things that I did is I, I, I started sending out just sort of like a, a company culture update every once in a while, just as a, a as a newsletter in newsletter out to the company. And that had just a great response, uh, especially, you know, there's some times where, you come into crunch time, you have people who are really just nose of the grindstone and it can kind of wear them down. And not everybody's, you know, just a machine and can work through yeah. and work through, and, you know, face adversity. So you have to have uh, some way to lift them up a little bit. And again, everybody responds to a different message, but that's, uh, that's where, yeah, I got a lot of feedback just from having told a story about my own personal experience with uh, working here. When I was uh, on the sales team, I had just uh, left an appointment I hadn't closed on it, but it was, you know, it wasn't a bad appointment, but I was just kind of like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm still in it. I'll, I'll keep going. And I was just going to go over to my buddy's house and, and sit down and hang out with him for a little bit. And uh, I was driving down the road and I saw a car uh, stalled out on the side of the road and this guy uh, is out and his girlfriend's trying to steer it while he pushes it. And I decided myself, I was, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump out and help him. And I, I pulled into a parking lot guy pushed the car about like half a block and it, you know it's middle of july it's hot and sweaty and awful and it was one of the hardest things i've ever done and the guy was like hey thanks you know and he, he bought me gatorade or something like that and i was just thinking to myself i was like you know what if i wasn't working for this company if i wasn't doing something that i loved in an industry that i love uh you know saving saving the planet every day if I was still working at the call center job I had had a couple of years before, I would have just kept driving. I would have been like, eh, sucks for that guy. Sorry. You know? <laughs> at least I'm not him, whatever. So I think it's, it's, almost, it's almost infectious. It's almost something that you just are able to, uh, to, to feel that by, by being here. And so I, I just shared that story and that was something that resonated with people. And they're like, that's great. You know, like, yeah, you, you gave me exactly what I needed. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was having a rough day and that's all I needed to hear. So. Being able to being able to share those experiences and again kind of encourage people to to just step up and share a story or share something buy somebody lunch maybe that's all they need for the day so yeah I've been visiting one of our uh, European clients um, uh, back uh, like a year back or something and while I was uh, having a tour through the office I've I've noticed they have this um, they call it thanks box so long story short is that every employee can go ahead and, and, and write a, a note of, to another person, uh, like the name and why, what they are th- uh, thankful uh, for. Like, uh, thank you, Danny, for amazing training session. Or thank you, Danny, for helping me out with that project uh, that we were having challenges with. Something like that. And then once a month, 
they are giving away some gifts, company gifts, like small ones, you know, something that is just not very expensive, but it's, it's still, you know, for the person great to receive something for the extra efforts that you put in or help. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed this and I like, Oh, that's great. Maybe I can do the, I can have the same in my company. And we actually have that thanks box event every month for the last 12 months. And that's just boost the morality of everyone. So basically Absolutely. what we are doing, we, we're not just, uh, you know, putting those notes into the box and, and just giving away the gifts, but also we are reading the notes out loud. And we are just, uh, you know, cheering for every person that help another person. And it's a, a, a company recognition. So I, you know, just uh, me being a founder of the company and my co-founder, we're just spending like, I don't know, 25, 35 minutes just reading note message and every message, every note out loud. And just, uh, you know, thanking for every individual who helped and that kind of boost the overall morality. And then we are just in distributing the, the, the gifts, of just some, you know, some cups or some, you know, any just chocolate bars or a gift bags yeah. or something like that. And that's yeah, super absolutely. great. And uh, every time, you know, people just looking forward to having this monthly Thanksgiving event and that just makes the summary of the month. So we are basically wrapping up the month with that and then starting a fresh month and then do that. And that just works great for company culture. And that's great that I picked up uh, that from one of our clients and maybe someone who can be listening to this can do the same for their... their Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and I think, I mean, that's something that we do as well, actually. It's funny you mentioned, but we, I mean, we don't even have the, the gift portion really. What we have is trophies. We, we do a, a monthly round table, you know, just kind of circle everybody back up, kind of recap the, like you said, month before, and then everybody stands in a circle. Uh, you can say something if you want, even if it's just sort of like a, Hey, want to give this person a high five. But we also have these, um, they're, they're just kind of silly trophies. Like one, we have a couple of, uh, these golden shovels from uh, big groundbreaking events. We have, you know, somebody has a, a trophy from like their daughter's gymnastics class or something like that, that we, you know, brought in and repurposed just, just kind of, uh, fun things like that. And we circulate those throughout the office. So we'll have somebody like I, I had one last month where I just said, you know what, like I have been hearing the procurement team on the phones every day, having, you know, sometimes really difficult conversations with vendors saying, Hey, where's my stuff? I've got people who, who need this to get their jobs done and all that kind of stuff and just working really hard. And I want to give them this, this shovel because they've been shoveling through a whole lot of crap. So, <laughs> you know, things like that. I think it's really, it, it's just that factor of recognition and gratitude. I think that is crucial. It's not the ex- explicit reward because I, I have uh, friends who work at other companies where they do that same kind of thing, but they have like a, a $25 gift card attached to it. And the culture is, from what they tell me, just really toxic still. And it, and it's almost because like people expect the $25 gift card and if they don't get it, they're just kind of like, Oh, well, whatever, you know? Uh, So it's really, really important that you lay that foundation of gratitude and and respect and and recognition for people doing their jobs. Even if I, I have no idea what the procurement division does, I don't work in the warehouse, but I can still recognize that they're working really hard. They're doing everything they can to make uh, you know their their part of the company run as smoothly as possible so everybody else can get their job done and we're a, a you know a functional machine overall so that's I think that's a that's an immensely important thing for any any company regardless of what industry you're in 
Do you think that uh, this uh, healthy company culture actually supported this incredible growth that you uh, experienced over the years? Was it one of the factors? Yeah, I, I would say it's absolutely a huge factor. I mean, we've like any company, we've gone through ups and downs. We've had hard times. We've had to you know buckle down and, and work hard. And if you had a, a toxic work environment that you're you hate coming to work and you hate your job and your coworkers bug you, you're just like, oh man, like oh, what am I even doing with my life? You're not going to get anywhere. You're not going to be a productive part of your company. You're not going to help the company reach those goals. So I, I think being able to have that optimism and and work ethic that's kind of embedded in the culture of yeah you're going to do the right thing if you see something you know you're going to speak up and see if you have a solution for it you know not to not to butt in and, and jump out of your lane and try and you know uh, rework everything that somebody's built in their division but be able to say like hey you know have you tried this can i can i help can i do something to assist you guys you know take a little bit of burden off of you something like that i think that's that's something that if we didn't have that, I mean, yeah, I don't know where we'd be, but it wouldn't be here. This is a, a great point to, to wrap up this call. We kind of got yeah. off the solar topic a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But eventually that's where we uh, were to, you know, to get to. Um, and I think that uh, you raised some really interesting points uh, and uh, uh, there's definitely a lot that um, I can think about um, after this. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Belkin's Growth Podcast and found it useful. Be sure to subscribe and catch upcoming episodes on iTunes and Stitcher.